Hey everybody, this is Levi Clay and you're listening to the Modern Music Teachers Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Modern Music Teachers Podcast, the music education podcast where we talk about education and pedagogy from all walks of life. My name is John Kiernan. And I'm Sonia Kiernan. Today for our second episode, we have a subject that's really near and dear to both John and I's heart, music theory. And later on, we're going to have a very special guest. John, do you want to tell us who that is? Sure. His name is Levi Clay, and he works for a publishing company called Fundamental Changes. Uh, he releases a bunch of different books and a bunch of different instructional material for guitar. But he is, in my opinion, one of the forefronts of taking music education really seriously. Uh, what's great about the guitar is that it comes from a different perspective completely when you talk about electric as opposed to classical and acoustic. So it's going to be real interesting for everybody to hear the way that he thinks about music education and the way that it compares and contrasts to what we're going to talk about on our episode here. So uh, definitely take a listen to that. You can find us at modernmusicteacherspodcast.podbean.com and we are currently on Podbean. Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Anywhere that you pick up your favorite podcast, any streaming device, iOS or Android, you can find us on any of those and stream us through any platform. We are also now on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So if you search Modern Music Teachers Podcast on any of those, you'll be able to pick up the latest episode and get in on the conversation with us. So let's frame a little bit of the conversation because music theory can be a very broad topic as we know we can be talking about as something as small as learning rhythms and learning half notes and quarter notes all the way up to scales and modes and matrices let's talk about when in a lesson should you be introducing theory piano has a very strong hold on music theory as being one of the main basics for teaching piano it's a it's not many piano teachers who go and teach piano by ear, but I think for both instruments and, and, and just in general, music theory is at the forefront of music education, even when you're teaching one-on-one -on -one with a student or in a classroom setting. Electric guitar is a very different instrument than classical. The theory is translatable between both instruments, but you know, like you'll hear in our interview later too, the general concept is that there are so many ways to teach guitar-based theory that a lot of the times what you get is that you have players, at least in guitar, who are fantastic players but may not have the strongest hold on, let's say, reading notes, but may have a strong ear for the music theory, building chords, building scales, finding modes, things like that. Um, but sometimes the guitar theory may be a little bit scattered. You know, we'll start talking about from younger students, you know, let's say students that are five, six, seven, maybe on the younger side, even up into, you know, the teenage years. I believe that there's no age exception for starting to teach music theory. What do you think? Oh, I completely agree. Music theory in its most basic form, when you introduce it to a kid, is letters and counting. We have, uh, well, at least in the um, United States, I know some other countries go with uh, do, re, mi. Here, if you know A through G, and if you can count at least up to four, then you have the, your basics for music theory. And that's something that 
even the five-year-old can pick up on and can relate to because they know their alphabet. They're learning their alphabet. That's what they sing in school. That's what they sing at home. Every baby toy imaginable that we have for our son has the alphabet song. So what you're saying is we should just bring baby toys into the lesson then. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Exactly. (laughs) And then just cut it off at G. That's it. (laughs) But um, at least, like I said, for piano, it's very much a part of a teacher's repertoire. It's very much a part of a teacher's lesson plan. It's something that is included with all your method books. All the basic piano method books come with a theory book, workbook. To me, music theory is the architecture of music. It's what builds the music, how to create sound, how to create the songs that are in front of you and it's an encyclopedia and a dictionary for every symbol musically that you see in front of you and everything that you're going to find in music. The architecture of music is a great way to frame music theory. The more you know about how music works and the construction of pieces and even just the construction of something as small as a measure of music, a bar of music, uh, four quarter notes, That is so powerful to a student who may be sitting down at the piano for the first time or the guitar for the first time, just to be able to sit down and play something. I can't tell you how many students and how many teachers I've spoken to before. They discuss that the first couple lessons are a little bit more difficult because the student comes in not knowing anything, obviously. But just being to set that general framework of quarter notes, being able to have them tap out a beat or snap out a beat, or even for guitar, being able to just strum all six strings four times in rhythm is amazing. But I think what happens sometimes is you have the teachers who may stop there, who may say, okay, just strum it four times, as opposed to explaining, okay, steadily play four equal paced rhythms. And I think that separation really helps out in letting a student understand. The more you you get into music, the more advanced your pieces get, the more you're going to find in front of you. The more complicated the music gets. And theory is really the what, where, when, why of everything that's in front of you. It, it, It explains everything. And I'm a firm believer in the more knowledge a student has, the better they're going to understand music and the more confident and independent they're going to get with the music they play. They're going to fully understand what's in front of them, how to count it in, what it's supposed to sound like, how to approach it, and how to make it happen. The more understanding a student has, I think the better they're going to play and the better they're going to feel about what they're playing. I will start off a young student with a C major scale. I will start them off with even basic chords and for guitar for those who are coming in listening from let's say the piano side of it guitar has a in in my opinion guitar is a very unnatural instrument to start right away Um, with piano you basically can place your hands in just a seated position on your lap and you're already part of the way to playing piano with guitar you have to kind of sit in a way that The instrument doesn't sit naturally. You got to kind of form your body to it at first. Once you get the hold of the guitar, then it becomes a lot more natural. Obviously, it becomes second nature. But that initial instinct is a little bit tough. But once you get past that, um, I tend to, once we start learning the notes, once we start learning the names of the strings and things like that, maybe within the 
uh, first little bit of learning with each other, the first couple months, I see zero problem starting to teach kids about scales, start teaching them about chords. I'll even go as far as starting to teach them, uh, for example, in the major scale, the uh, harmonic outline of a major scale, major, minor, minor, major, major, minor, diminished. Um, again, when it comes to music theory, I think a big part of it is what you introduce and how you introduce it. If you introduce it as something very difficult and you introduce it as a high-level concept, it's always going to come across as a high-level concept. But if you're able to introduce it in small chunks, start off with just the reading of the notes, get the student able to understand what's in front of them, as you said, but then be able to start building, okay, you now know how to speak the language a little bit. Now here's how to break down the language. I think that's super helpful. One thing that us as teachers need to start doing a little bit more of as well is making it part of the curriculum, making it part of the lesson. And I know with with teachers playing the music and, and especially when the students get to that higher level where you're running into your sonatas and your pieces that are getting more into that five, six page spread of music, it's hard to find the time for music theory. The place that I studied when I was a child, there was a set curriculum where everybody had to take music theory. If you weren't interested in taking music theory on Saturdays, then you didn't sign up for lessons. It was part of the curriculum. I think it's part of music that really needs to be there. Apart from just the playing and, and, and the pieces, I think us as teachers, we need to find a way to incorporate it and make it part of the lesson because I think without that separate day for music theory, or even with my students, without that time for music theory, they wouldn't be enjoying the lesson as much. I mean, I wouldn't say they wouldn't be enjoying the lesson as much, but it definitely builds their confidence. It builds their understanding and their sight reading skills. It helps that tremendously. They understand fully when you see those sharps right there at the beginning of a piece, they know the order, they know exactly what to do. They know what key it's in rather than going through and reading each note at a time. The more you understand the music, the more, the quicker you can learn pieces too. You start picking up on similarities from piece to piece. You start picking up on uh, common chord progressions. You start picking up on a lot of core concepts. And I think that even from a young age, you can really develop these kinds of things in a student. Students, once they start to see that, it all just becomes so much easier, becomes a bigger picture rather than a million notes in front of them. Helping understand these patterns, helping understand these rhythms, helping understand the way that music works can only help that. And I know we talk about sight reading a lot as teachers, but that's really one of the things a lot of uh, students do. They pick up music and they either learn it by ear or they learn it by reading it. Well, that's what we hope students do. That's what we hope you do. No, but when we teach, that's one of the things we strive for as well. That independence, that confident independence where a student can print out a sheet of music and just learn it on their own. Even after they stop taking lessons, they continue playing the instrument and they know how to play the instrument and how to approach different songs that they run into. Now, one thing that I have talked to a lot of teachers about in my search to where to fit theory into the lesson is, you know, when you work at different schools or you set your lesson plans or however you uh, disseminate lessons, 
you run into the issue of time. So if you have a student who's in a half hour or 45 minute or a 60 minute, I think those offer different opportunities to run your classes differently and often by necessity. A big part of the way that I do my lessons is I think of, I roadmap what a 30 minute lesson is going to look like. I roadmap what a 45 minute lesson is going to look like and I roadmap what a 60 minute lesson is gonna look like. I think all of us would say that a 60 minute would probably be the easiest to fit theory in. And what I try to do is I try to do about 20, 30 minutes of theory and then the rest of music. And then the music that we're learning talks directly to the theory that we're learning. So if we're learning a D major scale, for example, we're learning all the chords in D major, then I want to be able to have a song that references all those chords or those scales so they can understand that. But I think the real strong prowess of being able to add theory into lessons is having a really strong idea of what your lessons within a given time frame are going to look like student to student. And even when they're approaching a piece or, or first looking at a piece, you can bring up all those concepts that they've learned in music theory. Ask them, what key are we in? What's the time signature? How are we going to count this? Are we starting with the treble clef or the bass clef? Ask them all these questions. Have them tell you what's going on in the music and have them know what they need to look for when they play a piece. When I'm reading a piece for the first time, I look at all those things. I scan through the entire piece. That all creates this sonic picture in my head and in my ear of what this piece is going to sound like and what I'm going to be doing to create that sound. When we talk about how the theory of piano has developed and the theory of music has developed, they're very uh, harmoniously tied together. But when it comes to the way that guitar is, guitar comes from a very different school of thought. So there's a lot that you hear, and there's a lot that you just learn to play even without the theory. So whereas the music theory is so tied into something like piano, I still think there's an opportunity to effectively teach it and have a strong methodology for it for guitar. You know, even from that young age, you can figure out, for example, okay, if a student comes in and they're, let's say, seven, eight, they're younger and their hands aren't big enough to uh, do a full six-string or five-string chord, you can still figure out three-string arpeggios to do. You can still figure out three-string chords to do. You can still figure that out for most of your scale work and most of your chord work. Um, I think it's really just finding those opportunities and really explaining to the students still how music works. You can teach a smaller chord to have the student understand the concept, and then as they can perform more, as they can play more, you build more. But I don't think that for guitar, the technical uh, infacility of that should dictate the way that you teach the instrument. I think you should figure out ways to really develop that skill in a student from a young age. Like you said, you start out small, you start out one note at a time, three note chords, and then it extends from there. And in the case of piano, it usually blows up from there. <laughs> Once you get into Chopin etudes and everything going on with, with Rachmaninoff pieces and even some of the, the Beethoven sonatas, you just add more notes and more notes and more notes and more going on and, and all these other symbols and the pedals and more pedals and... Especially with Rachmaninoff. Yes. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> all the method books come with theory books and they cover even your basics of music theory like note reading, rhythms, time signature, 
they go into intervals, they go into different chords that you're going to see, they go into, you know, they start with the five finger scale and then go into the full scale. They get into some key signatures and just kind of give like an overall short review of what you're going to see in music theory. And then usually what I do with my students, and I think what most teachers do, is they branch out into more fixated music theory books. Your Fundamentals of Piano Theory is one that we use a lot. If you really want to get in-depth and really dive into every single detail of music theory, there's Macintosh Theory and Musicianship. In my opinion, could even be at a college level because it goes so in-depth and gives you so much information. It is the number one encyclopedia for music theory, in my opinion. You walk into a music store, anytime you see the method books, they're all gonna have that workbook, that theory book, and it's definitely something that should be in every student's little tote bag. Because of the way that the guitar is architected and partially, like we talked about earlier, the way that the guitar theory is gone, there are resources that are a bit scattered. Um, for early students, I always recommend the fast track books. Uh, the fast track books are great right off the bat just to get playing up front. And with those, it does a really good job, I think, of having music that's pretty fun for a young student to play, but also doesn't repeat a topic more than it has to. If you can read a note, then you don't need to read that note, I think, for four or five, six pages only before getting to the next note. Um, the Fast Track book, I think, really does a good job at moving the pace along very well and giving you and giving a young student interesting music to read. But the thing that I really like about it is with guitar, we read both tablature and notes. And what tablature is for our piano folk here is um, it's very specific to guitar. You see the fret number that you have to play on the appropriate string. So if I was supposed to play the second fret on the um, highest E string, I would press that down, it would tell me. The only thing is that doesn't really give you rhythm unless you're doing the newer grand staffs for guitar, which will show you both the note with the rhythm and then the tablature. But the fast track really has a student starting to read music right up front. Speaking of resources, there are definitely a lot of games, a lot of puzzles oh, yeah. and, and a lot of different worksheets that you can find online. And some of my favorite websites that I'm gonna list here are My Fun Piano Studio, Opus Music Theory, MakingMusicFun.net, Susan Paradis, G Major Music Theory, and of course MusicTheory.net. Sorry if I'm butchering anybody's name <laughs> in this list. I know even Susan Paradis has Music Bingo, which is extremely popular with my students. We play Music Bingo and it's just a fun game where they refresh everything they've learned in music theory and it's a great game there's also composition worksheets there's crossword puzzles there's note reading exercises some of these have circle of fifth exercises you got some saint patrick's day worksheets coming up a whole list of different options for different music theory worksheets and one thing that i need to emphasize hugely in this podcast is the app Tenuto and the website musictheory.net. It's one of the best apps that I've seen. It has everything, including ear training, which a lot of my students find really fun. Others dread it, 
but it's definitely a curveball to throw in. John and I love it. Everything from note identification, key signature identification, interval, scale identification, chord identification, note construction. It has keyboard note identification for all those little ones just starting out. Then it goes into ear training, interval training, chord ear training, scale ear training. This is in every one of my students' iPads, iPhones, their computer, whatever they have, my students use this and it's been a great resource and it's fun. It sounded like a sponsorship. It's not. Uh, we don't have an affiliation with Tenuto and musictheory.net, but it is a huge, invaluable resource. And just what you were saying there, I think truly highlights it. And I, I want you to go over a little bit more of the games that you do. When it comes to integrating technology, into the classroom with younger and the reason I bring up younger students is because that's where we hear a lot of the pushback from families and students regarding theory um, I think when you start including games and you start including technology things that uh, kids already have at their portability and at their access whether it's in school or whether it's at home now or whether it's just a tool that their families are using to uh, make sure they're getting home all right from school you know, these are tools that kids nowadays are really involved with before music is even a thing. And the best part is it's with them on a portable device. Right. They can take this on all of the vacations that these kids take all over the place, all the time, weekend getaways, spring break, which is coming up, the car ride over to the lesson, the car ride to school. It's right there with them. They can just go through Tenuto and go through all these note identification games. It's easy. It's fun. It's, you know, only available, though, on Apple devices, right? That's correct, yeah. And then you can access it on Android, but you have to go through musictheory.net. So the website, musictheory.net, is the way you do it for Android. But if you have iOS, which many, many, many people have, then you should be able to just download the app, yeah. Now... I want to go over a little bit of the games, too, because I think that is a really great bridge for teachers to be able to integrate theory into their lessons. You know, Tenuto at its core is a really strong app for theory. And you and I, I think, have really done a lot of work to really integrate it as games or as really strong theory developers or a combination of both. But what you said, I think, rings true about even bringing games of theory into the lessons because music should be fun you know at you know it is a skill music is, is fun it takes a lot of work but it is so something that's so much fun and i think music theory is a gateway to this fun what do you what are some of the things that you do like how are some how does some of the games work that you work with for theory? Or what are some of the things that you've tried or like just as an example or so? Well, like you said, a lot of the holidays are incorporated into these worksheets and into these games. And if you go to these websites, you can find everything Thanksgiving, Christmas, and every month has some sort of holiday going on. There's Easter, there's even like springtime and summertime. There's one game, I forgot, it just came to mind. I forgot what website I found it, but maybe if you Google it, Ice Cream Cone Notes. There's two versions of it. There's a keyboard version of it, and then there's notes on the staff, where I would play a note on the piano, and then the student had to put the ice cream flavor of the correct note on top of the cone. And then I would 
play another key on the piano. And they had to grab that other next flavor that had G and place it on the cone. And just things like that. They had a blast with that. It was summertime, but it was just a fun activity. And my student really enjoyed it. She asked for it the following week. Story time where you have to complete the story or complete the poem by filling in the missing letters so you know what the words are. There's crossword puzzles. There are a lot of composition ones as well where you can write a St. Patrick's Day song. You can write a Thanksgiving song. There's one that's like, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. And each syllable is a note and it ties into a five finger scale. There's just a lot. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of great stuff out there. You just Google a lot of it, look through apps, come up with stuff yourself. If you're good at Photoshop, I know my husband is great with computers and great with Photoshop and all those programs. And he created a pizza rhythm chart, which he is very proud of. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, number one, we're from the tri-state area and especially close to New York and New Jersey. So you can't get any better than pizza. Number two, Everybody in this area is going to know about pizza. The parents are going to know about pizza, and then the kids are going to know about pizza. Yeah, Jersey knows about pizza. We, That's one thing that, that we're good at. We know pizza. And something kind of tying to that about this story is uh, the student who I actually started that out with was a... They were either four or five at the time. And it was my first young student. And I didn't want to say no to the student, not because you know, is not because I wanted to just have another student to add to my roster, but I truly do feel that a student of any age can learn music. And this was actually one of the students that helped build that in me. For me, it was less of, oh, can the student learn or not? And more, how am I going to get the student to understand the concepts that will help them play music? And so I thought, okay, what are things that uh, kids like and what are things that resonate what are things that they know and one thing was talking to the family they were like oh uh, my daughter loves pizza and number one instant awesome kid first and foremost I'm glad about that but the thing is you think about a pizza and oftentimes when you go to the uh, pizza shops you see the pizzas cut up into six eight slices so what i did was i created a pizza cut into eight slices and then another pizza cut into four then i had eighth notes quarter notes half notes and whole notes and what we did was we associated first quarter notes and half notes and whole notes whole notes to the whole pizza half notes to two slices of the pizza and then a quarter note to one slice of the pizza so what was happening was not only was the student learning about, not only were they enjoying pizza, but they were learning about notes based on something that they already knew. Right. And they were seeing the different slices with the different rhythms. Four slices would make one whole pizza. Um, you had the half notes. You cut the pizza in half. Yep. You put the two halves together and you get that whole pizza. You get a little more complex and more slices with eighth notes. But, you know, the more pizza slices, the more fun you have. Absolutely. And I think one of the important things with that was it was something visual that the student knew already going into the lesson. Um, so the first part, as Sonia was saying, and as we talked about here, was the student being able to identify the quarters, halves, and holes 
in reference to something that they already know. But then what we did was we decided to say, okay, let's go ahead and put up different rhythms here. And we would mix around the half notes, the quarter notes, the whole notes, and make our own custom in the moment rhythms. Based on what they were able to associate visually with the pizza, they were able to understand and translate that into the music. That way, when you, we took the pizza away, it was no longer a foreign concept to them. And I think that's part, I think that's a big important part of teaching is not only being able to know the information so well, because as musicians, we know the information well enough to play whatever we need to play. We know the information enough to sit down in a conversation with another musician and say, oh yeah, you know, 12 tone matrixes is how you build it, this is how you reharmonize, whatever. But the ability to translate that knowledge into a language that someone who doesn't even know it will understand is huge. And um, one video I think everyone here should check out is the musician Jacob Collier has a video online. Oh boy. Where he goes through. Yeah, if you know Jacob Collier, you already know his theory can go just off the wall. But he has one, uh, he has one video where he tries to explain harmony to five different stages. Uh, someone that's never learned before, like a beginner, intermediate, advanced, uh, professional musician, and then Herbie Hancock. And you really get to see how he's able to break down, even in bare basics, all the way up to an intermediate and advanced level, a way that somebody will understand what he's talking about. Obviously, when you get to the advanced, that's when he really breaks down the notes and the chords and whatever. But it's really, I think, that kind of thought and that kind of mind that you have to have when you're speaking to a student. And I think us as teachers, we have to not be afraid to teach. Yeah. We have to give kids more credit. Kids want to learn, even though it may seem like they want the complete opposite. A lot of the times, and they're really, really, really tired all the time. A lot of the time. We don't know from... <laughs> What? I mean, you know, kids have a lot of activities. Taekwondo, and... baseball, karate. Right, and a lot of them actually have really full days. Yeah. But there's a concept that, that exists out there that kids don't want to learn. They do. They want to learn because they want to be able to play all these songs that they hear on the radio. They want to be able to experience music the way we experience it and we enjoy it. And that comes with practice, that comes with knowledge, that comes with the work that's involved with being a musician. And we have to not be afraid to teach kids. We have to not be afraid that students aren't going to be interested because music theory and when we really teach a student and get involved, you see results. You see great results. And it only creates greater interest and, 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 and greater teaching experience, a greater learning experience. And that's something I can't emphasize enough, that don't be afraid to push the time. Don't be afraid to go past 30 minutes. When I was young and studying at this school, it was intense. Nobody could take anything less than an hour. We had to participate in guild examinations. It wasn't a choice. We had music theory on Saturdays. And let me tell you, a lot of the students that were there 
went to study other things other than music. They didn't go to Juilliard. They didn't go to Manhattan School of Music. But they were there. They were dedicated. They enjoyed it. They had their piano graduation. And the students were very grateful. Even to this day, we're still extremely memorable and, and, and grateful for that type of curriculum that we had. And that teacher had a ton of students. We were a large group. We were at my, when I was taking lessons at around nine, 10 years old, I think was like the largest group of 30 something students. But we have to just believe that what we do as teachers is valuable. And students will appreciate what we teach them and if you really have the students dedicated and if you really stay consistent and stay dedicated as a teacher, you're gonna see results and you're gonna see great results and you're gonna see what a great profession music teaching really is. And I don't, and I would even double down on that. Don't be afraid to talk to families and don't be afraid to talk to other music teachers about what's been working yes. and what doesn't. Going uh, back to the families for a second, get families involved. Talk mm -hmm. to the parents. Get the parents involved. Grab them and have them help the student out. Help them know and, and be a little bit familiar because when they're young, five-year-olds aren't going to remember anything you said. They'll just nod and say yes, and then the next week they come in, you ask them, oh, let's go over this, and they're like, I don't know, because they're young. They need to learn, you know, that self-discipline that we learn through life about sitting there, figuring something out, repeating it over and over. Parents are a crucial key to the success of music students, to the success of our students. Absolutely. And I think we put a lot of onus onto the parents at our school, too. Um, again, we want our students to enjoy. We want our students to learn. But a lot of it does start with the parents also. And I think that there is an opportunity for us to not only just walk out to the families afterwards, debrief them and say, make sure your student goes home and practices. But I think another way that a teacher can really get in tune with a student and a family is to get to know the family a little bit. Talk to them, oh, well, what other activities outside of music do they have? Uh, do they play video games? Do they do sports outside of here? Because I think that with a lot of music and a lot of teaching comes analogy, comes empathy, comes a lot of different factors here. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to really dive into a student and go, okay, who are you at the end of the day? And that's really going to help me deliver that information. I'll tell you, with the roster of students that I have, the information of theory will stay the same. A C major scale is a C major scale. No matter how you play it on the guitar or piano, the scale is the same. But you can teach different repertoire. You can use different analogies. You can, you can disseminate the theory in such a different way but still have both students leaving understanding it in completely different ways and still understanding the same concept. And that comes, I think, from communication with uh, the families. And I also think it comes from communication. Learn what other teachers are doing. Um, I don't think that other schools, other teachers are you know, enemies in this. I think we're all trying to figure out the best solution together. I think we're all trying to figure out the best way for 
uh, students to learn and really create the best musicians we can. And talking to other teachers, listening to other teachers is a great way to do that. What have you seen work? I have, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of different teachers about a lot of different topics. And sometimes you may just hear that one line or two that then just changes the perspective of everything that you teach. You know, it's it's the communication is pivotal with the students, with the families and with other teachers. Definitely. And, and I think just in life communication, the more you talk to other people, you mo- the more you get to know other situations and it, be- it all becomes a learning experience. The more you learn, the more you discover different ways of doing things that you might not have, you know, thought about. With, before you spoke to that person or before you went to that website or, or watched that YouTube video. It also helps, I think, confirm some things too because a lot of the times when you teach lessons, it's just kind of you and a student or you and a few students, right? But really a lot of teaching is yourself. And when you speak to different teachers, people in the same profession, if you all of a sudden are saying something and you're kind of nervous, oh, I'm not really sure if this methodology works or like, I don't know if this is, you may speak to somebody and they may go, oh, I never thought of it like that. And you may be the inspiration that sparked for them to try something else. Inversely, you may have somebody go, oh, I've, I think about it like this, in which case it does it to you. And then third, you may have somebody that goes, oh, yeah, I've tried that before and that's really good. And what you do then is that just helps you confirm what you've been doing for a while. You know, so I think there's value in, again, being able to speak to other Uh, teachers and learn their methodologies even teachers that aren't your parent instrument like again for me I speak to well obviously because you're my wife but also because we're in such communication with the school um there's so many things that I've learned from you there's so many things I've learned from all the teachers in our school and teachers that are outside of our school and it's just different ways to think about it so even outside of your instrument you can learn a lot of great ways to run your workshop to run your lessons and to deliver the theory. But I think you nailed it on the head. Don't be afraid to deliver the theory. Don't be afraid to inspire kids to push themselves. Don't be afraid to me don't be afraid to push a child. Don't be afraid to push someone who wants to learn. All the websites that I listed, the app that I listed, as well as the um, information and websites for any of our guests that we have, you can find it where, John? modernmusicteacherspodcast.podbean.com. You'll be able to find a page on there that has access to all the different resources that we use and for different resources that we recommend from different teachers, whether that be pieces, whether that be uh, these fun games that we talk about here, or whether it be full learning packages. Uh, We put things on our website that are tools that we love to use and that we want you to have access to. So it gives you a direct link to purchase it directly from any teacher or if it's something that we found that we've created you'll find that download link on there but I think it's about time we get into our uh, guest interview for this week Levi Clay has a way of delivering information and a visualization for education that I think is generally unparalleled Um, he is of more of that modern guitar teacher mind he releases a variety of different books through fundamental changes and I think that the I think that the passion that he has for education, especially for guitar and music education, cannot be understated. So enjoy this interview with Levi Clay. We'll see you on the next episode of the Modern Music Teachers Podcast. And 
Thank you all for listening so much. Again, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and you can find all of our episodes also on YouTube. We got Instagram and we got Facebook. So basically anywhere you want to find us, you'll be able to find us there. And we will see you on the next episode. I'm grateful and extremely excited to welcome one of my favorite guitarists and one of my personal favorite guitar educators, Mr. Levi Clay, coming all the way from the UK. How you doing, my man? Not bad, mate. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you again for making the time. And um, with that introduction, that's for me a Hmm. big deal to be able to speak to you because for me, I've kind of watched your career over the years from uh, Lick Library to Fundamental Changes and really have heard you speak about your passion for education and especially as it pertains to guitar. So I'm excited to talk to you a bit. I love talking about education. This is ideal. <laughs> so let's get started here. Just right off the top, uh, how old were you when you started getting into teaching? You've been a musician, obviously, for I'm sure as long as you've been alive here for yeah. music. I've been a musician longer than I haven't been a musician. Um, and I guess if I do the maths, as of next year, I will have been a teacher as long as I haven't been a teacher. Um, I'm 31 <laughs> now. I've been teaching for 15 years. I started teaching sort of by accident when I was 16 because uh, I was I, I always did well in school and so I built good relationships with the teachers and my personal tutor in high school was aware of the fact that I played guitar and she knew that I had capabilities to convey information or certainly express myself fluently you know and uh, she essentially used me as a babysitter for a while <laughs> she said uh, I have to stay late to do some stuff once a week and my, both of my sons are looking to learn guitar, would you be willing to teach them guitar? And the concept to me was completely alien at the time, but I was happy to do it. And then she turned around and said, uh, of course, I'll pay you for your time. And that was enough for me to go, wow, okay, yeah, there's there's kind of, there's potential in this. From then on out, I was teaching her kids and then uh, a couple of other people that I'd worked with for, you know, like paper rounds and things like that, I ended up teaching their kids. And before I knew it, I had uh, I had a few students and uh, it, it snowballed and snowballed from there. So yeah, 15 years now, a long time. Your story is very similar to uh, a lot of musicians too, where they kind of, in a sense, they kind of fall into teaching. Yes. Uh, it's something that helps you create a career in music from a financial perspective. But um, it's one of those questions too, like a lot of music students many times major in performance, let's say, and they yeah. don't often start out with the intent of teaching. Uh, did you always find that you had a passion for teaching music? Like once you... Uh, once you receive those students from that person? Right. This is such a great question. And I, I often try and put myself out of that category, as in the kind of person that teaches because they found themselves teaching. But actually, of course, when I tell that first story, I guess I am kind of that person. And when you said that, it kind of made me think that maybe you're probably right. Maybe that is just about the reason why everyone gets into teaching. I was just lucky that it, that moment happened a lot earlier for me. So while I did, you know, do major in performance, uh, education was part of that. Teaching was was part of that. Uh, yeah, I got into teaching for, um, you know, a, a lot earlier than that. But ultimately, it's 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 passion, right? That the the key thing that you're you're getting at here is. Um, the reason that you have to get into it is at a love of the love of teaching, right? More so than more so than anything else. I mean, you teach yourself, right? Absolutely, yeah. How long have you been teaching for? I've been teaching now for about six years, and transparently, my wife's background with uh, performance, 
uh, she also has a minor in education. And so when we started the school, uh, it was both a combination of, like you said, looking at that passion and really trying to instill that into students as well. Yeah. 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 So what I found is um, when I was younger and I would, you know, learn things, I found the best way for me to really know that I'd learned that information was to try and explain it to someone else. And unfortunately, that often meant that I was having to explain to my my family members or, uh, you know, girlfriends or whatever. So the more and more I did that, the more and more I realized that being able to, you know, efficiently express that information to people and pass that information on was really the skill that I was looking to develop. And as soon as that became apparent to me, as soon as I started looking at the teachers that I had in high school and college, not just music teachers, but teachers in general, and really sort of respecting their ability to convey information and get information effectively into students heads um, that became fascinating to me and from then on out this is probably about the age of 18 uh, I knew like teaching isn't something that I want to do on the side of trying to be a performer I am extremely passionate about the idea of helping people develop their craft in music so yeah I've absolutely always had a passion for for teaching uh, music what would you say is your teaching philosophy I think you kind of nailed it on the head there <laughs> <laughs> well okay so that that's another really interesting question because what I'm finding is that my teaching philosophy has changed so much over the years. Uh, when I was younger, I was obviously teaching beginners like that. And right up until I left London, uh, I was teaching in music schools. So I was having uh, probably 40 students plus a week. And more often than not, we're talking beginners, whereas now as my career has developed and I've got a reputation for my specific areas of interest and I don't advertise for students, of course, the only people that approach me for lessons are people that want to learn specifically with me because of the things that I teach um, and my method of teaching. And what that has sort of done to my entire approach to teaching is it's kind of made me forget what it's like to teach actual beginners. Um, so I'm when I'm working with people now, it tends to be people that already have some degree of um, experience on the in instrument. And I think that what that's done to me is it's made me really think about the issues that I had with education in music in those early stages. I think back to the idea of people that have learned to play piano uh, because their parents made them do it. And they turn up to some, you know, some old lady's house and they'd sit down and, and the metronome would go on and that old lady would... Uh, make them play their scales up and down and it, it wasn't inspiring right it didn't make you want to practice and it didn't make you want to play music because you never really understood how this pertained to music uh, and you know it's no wonder that when people are in that position the first opportunity they have to choose whether or not they continue piano lessons they they all quit right um, with guitar it always felt that way I always felt like that the education style if you like certainly with the teachers that I experienced when I was younger, was very much in that imitation of the classical method. And of course, that gets results for performers. But I find that the classical musicians that I've dealt with over the years, you know, they're, they're great musicians, of course. They're great at interpreting a piece of music off a piece of paper, but it's certainly not the skill that I've been looking to develop. I was looking to develop improvisation and having a good ear, um, like a really reactive ear. And that's just not a skill that I think is, is taught using that method. So now when I'm working with students, my philosophy is all about music i'm very much uh forget scales i say forget scales obviously we'll talk about scales but never in a lesson am i going to say right here's a scale let's practice this up and down here's an arpeggio let's practice this up and down i might teach you um you know triads and things and then but then immediately turn that into right let's talk about how these actually get used in music and then i'm using the music more as a way to talk about the concept of triads rather than you know the, the ass backwards way of doing it, if you like. What you're talking about, it sounds like, is you're taking, let's say, the culmination of the music and the inspiration and using that to drive home 
uh, the topics you're looking to do. So maybe, for example, if a song's in a specific key or a specific player that a student wants to learn highlights, let's say, certain, um, uh, let's say certain arpeggios or certain phrases, yeah. you'll go ahead and use the music to highlight those, but you may not start from the other way. You may not start from the fundamentals yeah. and then push them up that way. Because I find it just drives the passion to music. I remember, you know, the first thing I learned on guitar was somebody taught me Smoke on the Water on just on the G string. And that was amazing. I went home and I played that riff over and over and over and over again. Uh, I had no idea who Deep Web were, but I, I really liked, you know, the thing that I could do. And seeing the amount of students over the years, not my students, um, though, that, though it has happened, where especially when you're forced to teach a specific curriculum, where you can just see that love of the music is just not there. They, they don't they've not fallen in love with music. And if anything, you're you're like the passion vampire sucking the last bits of passion for the music out. So, yeah, focus on the uh, on the musical side of things. And you can always use that, especially if you're a creative teacher, you can always use that as a way to bring up a theoretical or a technical topic or an ear training exercise or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. With apps like GarageBand, Guitar Pro and Ableton becoming available to the general public. Sure. Do you feel like technology is becoming a more common part of musical education? But even more to that, um, with technology now, I think you kind of talked about it where students come in loving, let's say, a certain artist or a certain style, not only from the, let's say, compositional or from the creative side, but do you feel like because technology is such a thing, there's more access to more modern pieces, more modern styles of music, more modern players. And so that also forces kind of teachers to listen to new music as well and really get modernized with what's out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the first part of your question there where you're talking about technology and it becoming a more common part of music education, right? Um, it's It absolutely is because obviously teachers are younger generations are teaching than, than back when I started learning. And these are people that grew up with technology. And we just use these as part of our, our teaching methods. I think if you turned up for a lesson now, uh, well, it might not necessarily be the case, but certainly, you know, if a student turned up for a lesson with me and I started handing out, you know, paper printouts to them, I think that's um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But technology allows us to do that in, in a much more interactive way. We don't need to use a piece of paper. We can use technology. We can use, as you say, a garage band or guitar pro, whatever it happens to be, to, to make lessons more interactive and make the learning experience when they go home and practice more interactive. Why give someone a, a sheet of notation when you can give them that sheet of notation, but also explain to them how they can use something like guitar pro as a practice tool, setting up speed trainer loops in it or you know, using technology to help better yourself. Um, and the second part of your question where you're talking about that technology sort of being a uh, a reason to kind of push teachers and things like that. I, when I was younger, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and I grew up in, uh, I mean, by any definition of the words, absolute poverty. There was no internet. We we couldn't afford internet. There was no cable TV. There was a, I don't even know how I managed to get my hands on a guitar. I mean, I borrowed one from my girlfriend for a very long time. Um, there wasn't, I didn't have a teacher for a very long time. The only way that I could learn music was by either listening to things and trying to copy it or going into my local town with all the paper rounds that I was working to try and scrape a bit of money together to buy a tab book and then getting home and trying to learn from this book and finding out that most of the tab and it was dreadful. Now, when you compare that to what kids experience nowadays, where they have instant access to just about anything that you could ever want to learn, that is fabulous. It's absolutely incredible. If you want to learn to play like some really out there players, like really modern players, guys that I, or gals, I should say, that I can't play like, like a vet young, right? You want to learn to play like a vet young? Cool. She's got a course that you can buy on Jam Play. And that's 
so unbelievably cool. Uh, I wish I could go back to being a complete beginner and learning the instrument again, because it's really interesting just how much that we can go out there and learn how many learning tools there are and how many resources for any given style that there happens to be. Is it a bit of a double-edged sword, though? Probably. Information overload can be a, a bad thing. I didn't, fortunately, didn't have that because I didn't have access to 100 uh, learning resources. And I do definitely see, even with my students, when I'm working on a specific subject with them, you know, you'll give them a good hour or two hour lesson and then they'll come back next week or two weeks, however long, and they've practiced it, but they've also tried to, to go off and do their own thing with it. And they've been, oh, I read this website and I checked this piece of information out and you're like, oh, I mean, there's so much conflicting information here and I, I don't really necessarily agree with the method in this. And that can be a little bit tricky. So you have to be careful with how you navigate it. But technology, I don't really have that much of a bad word to say about it. It's going to it's going to keep pushing kids to be better than we you and I could ever have imagined guitar players would have been when we were younger, looking up to guys like Petrucci. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Not even just him, but even hearing the way that like someone like Steve Vai has always talked about music, too, uh, from such an emotional place. And. You know, you hear and see players like Steve Vai, John, John Petrucci, I guess, has had a litany of different educational books come out, whether it be something where it's rock discipline or whether it be articles in, uh, you know, Guitar World or whatnot. Yeah. But someone like Steve Vai always kind of had other people like, you know, like yourself, Andy James, really dive into his work and be the, let's say, the vehicle to show other people about their work. So it's absolutely yeah. crazy to consider that. Whether you are the music teacher showing that to somebody or whether somebody is finding it on their own, the connection with technology has just been so pivotal. Yeah, I, I mean, I had to learn to transcribe, right, because I wanted to learn, you know, like Symphony X stuff. And there was no way to learn that. There was there was no tab book and there was no uh, no one online teaching you how to play that stuff. If you wanted still, even to this day, if you want to learn to play like someone like Frank Gambale and you go online, go on. I challenge anyone listening to this now, go on to YouTube right now and type in Frank Gambale style sweep picking. You'll have a lot of guys showing you Frank what they call Frank Gambale style sweep picking. You look at it and you go, Frank doesn't sweep like this. None of this sounds like Frank. So like. You, but you can use the technology like I do with Transcribe, the software Transcribe, to, you know, do all of that. And when I was 14, oh, that was not an option. <laughs> Trying to slow things down in Windows Media Player. Like, no, that, this isn't this isn't practical. So, yeah, I mean, kids have got it better than ever now. So throughout your career also, you've mastered a variety of styles from rock to country and everything in between. Like a lot of the stuff that you do for or that you did for Lick Library as well. Uh, right now you do for Fundamental Changes a litany of uh, country books and country tutorial. Yep. What? How important do you think it is for students to learn a variety of styles? I know we speak about speaking from a point of inspiration, like, okay, this is the style that uh, I call it parent style. Like someone mm -hmm. really falls yeah. in love with, let's say, metal or rock or classical yeah. or whatever the case. Uh, but how important do you think it is for students to branch out and really get a taste of different styles and even learn uh, just kind of the core fundamentals of said style? This is, uh, like from a teaching perspective, this is where you really start to work out the differences between your students, right? You have to really get an understanding of who you want to be as a player. Uh, there are, I think most students that we end up teaching probably just want to be able to pick up a guitar and strum some songs at a party. So for people like that, there's probably not a huge need to branch out into a huge variety of styles. Um, then you'll have guys that want to take the instrument a lot more seriously. They want to practice heavily and they're probably heavily influenced by 
uh, specific guitar players. Um, again, like for, for guys like me growing up, it was all the shrapnel guys. So, and I know what it was like to sit in a guitar lesson with someone and me, all I want to do is to play like Paul Gilbert and Jason Becker or whoever. And there's this guy sat op- opposite me saying, well, have you checked out this Larry Carlton track? And that was never going to reach me at that time because I think what it took, what it, what it needed was a, a teacher to bring these things, not to you in the right way, but at the right time. So I wouldn't argue that it's necessary that students learn a variety of styles. I have learned a variety of styles, but for no reason other than there's a genuine passion for the styles. There are styles of music that I do not play very well. And the reason isn't for anything other than I have no interest in learning to really develop this particular thing. The things I play well, I I absolutely love. Um, So, yeah, I think you need to decide who you want to be. If you want to be a session musician, I mean, good luck to you. But if if that's what you want to do, having a a broad understanding of styles is going to be very important. If you want to work in the, uh, I don't know, maybe you want to get a job working for Boss, the Boss Pedals, and part of that will be demoing their products at trade shows. It's probably important that you can play, you know, some ACDC riffs, but you can also play some um, Albert Lee stuff, and you're probably going to want to be able to play some Dave Gilmore. But then there's going to be guys there that are probably going to want to see some more high-tech rock shred stuff so you need to have some malmsteen licks under your belt and if you can play some mel travis stuff and uh, the chat and stuff this this is all stuff that's gonna gonna help you so i'm always coming at it from a perspective of what are you going to need as a professional and then of course what are you actually interested in the more you explore what you're interested in the more you'll probably decide what you want to do as a professional but yeah i would never learn something because you feel you have to if you if you go out and learn a new style you'll know when the right time is to do it Sure. And it actually brings me back to when I first started playing guitar. Um, I come from a rock background before, you know, going to college for music and things like that. But when I had gotten my first guitar, my dad really wanted me to uh, pick up nylon and pick up a classical guitar. But I was really into more of the punk rock stuff at that time, Blink-182, <laughs> MXPX. Yeah. And I remember my brother uh, talking to him one day and saying, look, if he wants to learn the classical stuff, if he wants to go down that road, just let him enjoy the music first. And then as he progresses... Uh, will he get into that? Possibly. But the big thing is you want to not instill the uh, love of just all music because maybe you don't love all music up front, but you want to instill the idea of being able to sit down and kind of get into a regimen, whether that's, as you said, uh, really just learning songs and working on loving the instrument or whether that be maybe running through scales and just getting your fingers ready and your mind ready for what's to come uh, by osmosis. And I think just by going uh, through the guitar and just becoming acclimated with it, your love for other styles may come out or your appreciation for the instrument will lead you down those paths. Yep. I mean, that sounds so familiar. So, so familiar. I was the same, the rock metal kid, um, all that. And then I got stuck having to play some classical guitar. And guess what? I was a, a graded classical guitar player. I um, My first ever official you know, music lessons were all classical guitar. In theory, that's technically my background. Technically, you should say that's my first instrument. But you know what? One thing you'll never, ever see me pick up and play. Because <laughs> uh, it was I learned it for all the wrong reasons. I learned it because that's what I was told I had to learn. So, yeah, couldn't could not agree more, mate. <laughs> Sure. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this. Uh, We talk a lot about where we've come from. We talk about a lot of our teaching philosophies and our teaching styles. Where do you see music education going in the next 15, 20 years? (laughs) That's a loaded question. (laughs) I I mean, 
so I'll be upfront with this and for anyone listening again, um, I was fortunately uh, sent these questions beforehand, right? <laughs> uh, just to get a rough idea of the things we were going to talk about. And this is the, the question that I look at and I'm like, where the hell is music teaching going to go over the next 20 years? Uh, because we it's next to impossible to predict the advances that are going to happen in technology, right? Sure. Um, I, I mean, if we went back 20 years... I mean, I wasn't playing guitar at the time, but I certainly wouldn't have imagined that it would be effortless for me to sit in sit in my house and wire, wirelessly connect to somebody, having a conversation in an, in another country that would then be recorded and broadcast to to people. The, the concept didn't occur to me, so I hopefully like to think that any pathetic ideas of where I think music education will be in um, in 20 years' time are way off base, and much better minds will come up with uh, something better. I do foresee potential issues in music education over the next 20 years in the you know i mentioned jam play earlier it's easier and easier for artists to become teachers and that's not in my opinion necessarily a good thing because when we talked about it at the start i said that you know don't go into teaching unless you're passionate about it you should you have to have that passion for music and you find a lot of artists that aren't teachers doing it because it's a way to make money now, if you have a big audience, uh, we won't name names, but if you have a big audience and you have the option to suddenly put out a video course, well, your audience are going to buy that. And that can that can be an issue because, you know, if you've got no actual ability to teach, like really convey information to people, if you don't actually have a, a history in developing as a musician and, and what musicians need in order to get better at what they do. It's very easy to just sit there and pretend like you're an expert and just show people what you do. Uh, actually, no, let's name names. Uh, <laughs> Tom Morello, right? I've, I've sure. talked about Tom Morello. He has a, an online guitar course that you can buy and it's an extortionate price. And really what business has Tom Morello got teaching people how to play, you know, guitar? Uh, he can teach you how to play like Tom Morello, but yeah, my fear is that actually music education could go into this scary world where the big celebrities that can't really make money selling music anymore because we we've devalued it to the point where it's worthless actually have to make their money by by teaching um and then actually maybe doing education a disservice <laughs> where people think there's a lot of charlatans out there that don't really know how to teach so that's my kind of post-apocalyptic take my on-the-spot take if you like of where music education might end up in 20 years i hope it doesn't i hope i'm totally wrong on that one but um I guess what I'm saying is that's something you should look out for, right? <laughs> As music education does develop and get better and better and better, just make sure that you're looking for people that really know how to teach. Uh, and of course, make sure you become one of those people that really knows how to teach. That speaks to uh, something that we even brought up earlier is when you talk about teachers who uh, they get into it for the way to create a living as a musician. It's one of those things where you, like you said, you do have to kind of be cautious, but I think when you have such a passion for music. If you are really somebody who, you know, wants to make their staple in the music industry or just wants to make their staple in music, um, I find personally no greater way to do that than to sit down in a lesson room or, you know, one-on-one -on -one, like in Skype or whatnot and be able to disseminate that information to somebody. Um, I know for me, I wasn't really a passionate teacher when I first started, but the first couple students I had, you know, seeing them progress, seeing them just get the first couple chords under their hands and then starting to see where that took them. 
that was really big for me. But I think the biggest thing is um, really trying to show, you know, professional or people that, let's say, got inspired from watching the radio or watching the radio, listening to the radio (laughs) or uh, watching MTV and saying, I want to be that, showing them it's not just that that should be inspirational or could be inspirational. It's also being able to uh, spread the joy of music and be able to help it grow, as you said. Yeah, I, I like listening to you say that really highlights to me the flaw in my position because it it would be very very easy to listen to what I'm saying and think wow this guy this guy's really acting like a gate gatekeeper uh, of who should and shouldn't be able to teach who should and shouldn't be allowed to teach um and actually while I am very protective of education and I try to make sure that we're all bettering ourselves as teachers um I'd also encourage anybody that hasn't taught to go out and at least try it because all those things that you mentioned there, those feelings of seeing those light bulb moments where a student starts to get something, you, you'd be amazed. Uh, you might be one of those people that sees that happen, see that, sees that light bulb moment happen, and you're instantly addicted. And you will spend the rest of your days seeking out those feelings rather than those standing on a stage with a spotlight on you, uh, seeing the joy in a young person's face when they understand that sort of connection between the thing that they hear and that they love and their hands and understanding that they can do that. The possibilities that open up in their eyes. Wow, that was so cool. Maybe I can learn to do this. Maybe I could write my own songs. That is that can't be beaten. So if you haven't taught, maybe give it a go. But <laughs> what I guess what I'm saying is just don't go out there, try teach, undercut everybody in the in the local area, give teaching a bad name, and then uh, run away back to your band that isn't very successful. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the I like the culmination of that. Absolutely. <laughs> now regarding the the educational material that you have on Lick Library and fundamental changes, a lot of and I we kind of touched on it earlier too, and I keep going back to that. It's because our Uh, Our conversations kind of go in and out of these questions here. But when we talk about those materials like Lick Library or Fundamental Changes, I think Fundamental Changes more may be able to use or to be used in, let's say, a classroom setting or be used in one-on-one lessons. Uh, With the depth of knowledge that comes in both of those uh, mediums, have you found that these lead more towards self-learning or have you been able to see your books, for example, be used in one-on-one lessons also? Uh, so they are absolutely designed from a perspective of self-learning, uh, which I'm a big, big fan of. Uh, I personally don't really feel the need to use them in my lessons, though I sometimes might make reference to them. Uh, but I don't ever want to be that guy that sat in a guitar lesson and then is trying to sell somebody another product. Like you're here with me. I should be able to give you everything that's in that damn book without me needing to, uh, needing to upsell you. You know what I mean? Um, but from my like ethos on teaching, if you like, I wouldn't really be able to use a book like that as a long running method in a private lesson. And the reason for that is I kind of think of, I don't think of learning music as a road that you travel down. I think of it as a tree that you travel along, that you, that you climb up. If you like, everybody starts at the bottom and everybody really needs that first lesson to be the same. The first few lessons are going to be very similar. And then you start to differentiate between those students and they are going to start going on different branches. They're going to take slightly different interests in things. They may have dramatically different interests. And I think that it's best to steer into those interests and have all of your students branch off in different ways and help them to, you know, develop to be their own part of the tree rather than, you know, take them down a road where at the end is, is you. <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend anybody become a, a copy of me. 
I'm not even crazy about being me sometimes. You can go out there and be the best you. And I think the best way to do that is to make sure that you've got a teacher that is helping you explore those possibilities rather than saying, here's the book, let's follow the method. I'll make reference to lots of books in my lessons and say, you know, this book was of interest to me and I read this and I took this from it and this was great and here's a great author that you might enjoy. But never really, here's a book, let's start at page one, now page two. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. And I think this is something that's in a way kind of specific to guitar teachers. One thing that I tend to tell a lot of my students is that guitar, at least modern guitar theory over the last 50, 60 years, is a very rebellious instrument, you know, with yeah. with it being from jazz and also with us being able to really utilize both tab and notation. Then you have punk, then you have rock, and you have players that got inspired by that and then moved to other things. Um, it's, you know, I think we're really starting to develop in a way a lot of the road mapping or curriculum or tree, as you said, for how guitar theory should look. Um, guitar is very different than something like piano. You know, piano is laid out in such a way, but guitar is laid out in such a different aspect. And you can learn caged. You can learn three note per string. You can learn intervals. Like I know you're pretty familiar yeah. in terms of the visualization of the instrument. But there's so many different ways you can kind of look at a guitar that yep. you can teach it so many different ways. Whereas with piano, you have a generalization of uh, this is the octave and it branches up eight different octaves, let's say. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the, what you're really saying there is like, I kind of made mention to it earlier, right? There is a long hundreds and hundreds of years history of how you teach the piano. <laughs> sure. And our instrument is, I was going to say in its infancy, but it's that, that would be underselling how young our instrument is because our instrument is ever evolving. You know, there isn't there. I don't think there could ever be a method for learning uh, electric guitar because there are so many things to so many different approaches to it. And who knows what approaches are going to be coming out next year? Like uh, I mentioned it earlier. I mentioned Yvette Young earlier. Uh, and I can mention bands like Polyphia or Chon would be a great example. Now, none of these bands or artists, they're not really my cup of tea, but I totally, totally admire what they're doing. And I think that if we were to treat our instrument in that more classical pianist, like strict, this is the way to learn the instrument. This is the method that gets results. Uh, are we going to have bands 10 years from now that are breaking the boundaries in the way that these young bands are now? Uh, as I say, not a huge fan of John. Went to see them live and I looked around the room and I was probably the oldest person there at the age of 30. <laughs> and you're just looking at all these kids with their arms folded, nodding nodding along. And you can tell that they're just thinking, yeah, polyrhythms. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are just things that are not really going to be part of my teaching method. But th the fact that we will evolve and teach people new things is hopefully that's going to keep spurring music creativity on in our instrument. Um, yeah, let's keep evolving guitar. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess the last question for us to go over, what advice would you give to aspiring music teachers? I was going to say passion, but that's obvious, right? <laughs> uh, research, 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 research. When I went to music school, I was already a reasonably proficient player at the thing that I wanted to be proficient at. Uh, then I completely changed my interests. Uh, but the thing that I really took when I was at music school was I got to have a, le a lot of lessons with a lot of different teachers, right? And the thing that I found fascinating about those th lessons was less about what they were teaching and more how they were teaching. 
So I got a, a feel for many, many, many different teachers' approaches to giving information to people. Uh, I read hundreds of books, not just methods books, you know, uh, things to teach, but books on the subject of teaching, how to teach. I still, to this day, I don't really practice guitar anymore. I have very little interest in really picking up my guitar other than when I'm working because I'm constantly working. Like at the end of a day of work, I very rarely go, you know what I really want to do? I want to sit and practice, practice, practice. I'll go practice drums, right? That's a lot more fun to me at the moment. <laughs> um, but I still, every month, spend a decent amount of money on guitar educational products. And it's because I'm extremely passionate about seeing what other teachers are doing, seeing their methods of things. You never know when you're going to see someone else's different perspective on how to describe a piece of information, how to get an information across to a student in a slightly different way. Uh, you, you, to be honest, you'll get the same thing from students as well. You know, always seek to improve your teaching always seek to improve uh, and make yourself more efficient you may think that you are cutting edge in terms of education but there could be some guy that can barely play the instrument that you could still learn a little something from because of his perspective on how he describes information I, i'll give you an example actually a super quick one i've got all of these ways that i like to describe what a closed voiced triad is to people and I give these very visual analogies of a clock face and you put all the notes around the, the clock face and C, E, G, C, E, G, C, E, G. And I'm like, you could take any three adjacent notes and they have to be next to each other. And that would be what we would think of as a closed voice triad. Whereas an open voice triad, we might take the C from the top and the E from over here and we take this G and I always play some silly chord on the guitar that you can't fret and you need two hands to play. And I say, that's an open voice triad. Uh, now I asked a student, you know, how would you describe a, a closed voice triad? And he said to me, without skipping a beat so a closed voice tribe would be where all of the notes are within the same octave and i went uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's also a great way of of describing it and now because he said that and i was listening to him saying that i made a note of it in my head and i still do my clock analogy when i'm talking about closed voice triads but i can also add in that extra bit of information if a student is confused i can say well another way you could think of it is and that is that's the the best advice I could ever give someone. Like, never think that you are done learning how to teach. You can always improve your teaching game. Go out there, read books, listen to people, watch people, and uh, yeah, you'll become more proficient teachers. The more passionate you are about it, the more results you get. I would say. I love that, and you also touch on the fact of kind of both in let's say modernizing what's out or modernizing your understanding of teaching philosophies and modernizing your ideas of what music is actually out there. So both from a teaching perspective and from a uh, musical perspective, it's great. It's yeah. awesome. Uh, I'll give a second bit of advice when you said that, actually. Sure. Uh, don't overstep your, your mark as a teacher as well, right? There are certain things that I am known for teaching on the guitar. If somebody wants to learn uh, rock and, and metal stuff, sure. You know, I grew up doing that. If you want to learn country guitar, yep, not a problem. If you want to learn to play blues, yep, that's my that's my my jam. You want to play slide guitar, cool, no issue there. You want to learn jazz, cool, let's do that. If you came to me and you wanted to learn about uh, applying polyrhythms to the guitar, or you're really interested in uh, mashugger and playing more specifically modern gent sounding stuff, I'm confident enough to say, no, I can't give you you know my standard of, of teaching with this there are better places for you to go and i will again from doing all of my research on on other educators i'm clued up enough to be able to point you in the direction of somebody who is more suited to you to your needs uh, you're doing yourself a disservice if you try and teach something that you're not really 
uh, an expert on. So yeah, don't don't make that mistake. <laughs> That's really powerful too. You're talking about like you know, and I think some teachers get scared of that. Like okay, I can or I have a parent style. I have a lot of styles that I can do. I have a lot that I can offer you. But if there's that one style that I can't teach you or that one artist I can't talk to you about, then if you go to somebody else, then they're going to steal the student. And you're not talking about that because it sounds like you're coming from a place of really loving music and having your students understand, look, it's not just me. It's just the fact that we're experiencing music and I want you to get the best experience from the best teachers you can for said style. Yeah, and the more you spread that, ideology out among teachers the more you don't really think of it as being passing your students on to other teachers because you're never losing a student because other teachers are sending their students over to you for you the thing that you're an expert in um you know I've, i'm extremely humbled that i'm regularly sent students of martin miller uh, that he that they're like right uh you know martin's told me that i need to come to you to get some get information on this stuff and that's that's ideal i think that's awesome because we're, we're doing the best by our students rather than doing the best for our our personal financial gain you know and the financial gain i promise the financial gain will come just by the nature of the fact that you're doing the best that you possibly can as a teacher. I love it. And I think we're going to really wrap it up there because in that final summary, you touched so many powerful points and I don't want to, I don't want to taint any more. And I thank you so much, Levi, for your time. That My was pleasure. awesome. No, thank you so much for having me on.